before we begin study, let's have a word of prayer. Lord and Father God, we come before you tonight thankful we can gather, thankful we can fellowship and share a meal together. Uh, Father, we pray that you will be with us tonight as we look to your word to learn, to understand that you would give us through your spirit insight, wisdom, and understanding of all things that pertain to life, to godliness, Father. We uh, hold up all these folks that are listed on our prayer list as well as those that were mentioned here tonight fresh, Father. We pray that your spirit would be with them, heal them uh, in all things, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to continue on with our, our series on Christian growth. Uh, tonight's going to be my last night of filling in for Dave. So Dave will be back next week and we'll continue in this series on Christian growth, these different subjects that we've been touching on and studying on uh, Christian growth. Tonight our study is on the joy in giving or graceful and cheerful giving. This, this study is going to show us the importance of giving and helping us to develop and grow as a Christian. Yeah. Giving helps us grow as a Christian because it, it, it takes, think about it, it takes faith to give, to give of our, our monetary blessings that God blesses with us. It, um, it's easy for us to look at the bank account, the pocketbook, the bills due, and everything else going on, and, and to give a tithe, tither and offering. So um, whenever we can do that, that, that is, that's Christian growth. That is, that is growing as a Christian. It's, it's just some tend to uh, not give because they don't have the faith that God will take care of them no matter what. And in his word, he promises to take care of us. So, but did we ever stop to think about how much our happiness and welfare depends on what is given to us. We begin life with nothing, absolutely nothing. So our parents give, our family gives, the community gives, church gives, and behind all that giving is God. If God were to cut off the, the light and the warmth of the sun, we would all perish. We not only depend on what God has created, but his ongoing operation of what he has created for us. And you know, it's a, it's a simple truth that the grosser or most abused sins of life are usually a misuse of things that are actually needed to live or are right and good, God-ordained God things, such as an example, gluttony simply overeating, but we need to eat to live, right? Then you think about sensuality or, or sexuality, and that's a natural God-given desire, but gone wild, gone wild, it's very much not appropriate. It's very, very sinful. God said that we are to, that's supposed to be within the marriage relationship between a man and a woman, period. That's what his, his word says. But he also said, be fruitful and multiply. And then a miser or a hoarder is one who simply hoards wealth. Have you ever heard the saying, he is so tight, he still has his first Holy Communion money in his wallet. 
and, and if you're not familiar with the Catholic religion, you probably wouldn't know what that means, but it's, I think it's in third grade that as you're going through their uh, catechism classes in, in the Catholic Church that you have a First Holy Communion. And it's usually a big thing for the family and they have a party and you get <laughs> cards with money. So some people are so tight they still have their money from third grade in their wallet and they're 60 years old. <laughs> and, and wealth is never condemned or declared to be wrong or evil in the Bible. And it could be it could be a blessing or it can be a curse. But what is wrong about money in terms of uh, our perception of it? I mean there's some there's some verses that talk about money being your God. Exactly. It's a scripture, um, the money is the root of all evil. Love of money. Yep, yep. So it's not it's not really money it's, itself, but it's our perception of it and, and what we do or don't do with it and how we use it. Jennifer? I always think, like, you look at the whole counsel of the Word of God, there's always balance. Like, what you were just talking about, pretty beautiful, multiplying thing. Um, Solomon said money is the answer to all things. So, but Jesus said, the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's like, you balance it. You have to have it to survive. But it's not supposed to be like, Brianna said, you're gone. Yes, it's, it is a balance. If you think about it, throughout all of history, right up to today, we have to transact. There's buying and selling going on. And in fact, there's a tremendous amount of teaching about money in the Bible. In fact, there is more said about money than about the atonement or reconciliation of God and mankind through Jesus Christ. But which is more important? Obviously the reconciliation. But why do you think so much is taught in the Bible about money? Why, why is that? Why would Jesus teach us a lot on different parables about money? It could be a great distraction. It could be a great distraction, something to get you off track. Anyone else? You, you just said it. We need it. To, I mean, we got to survive. I mean, the only way you survive is if you have something. Got to survive. You need money you know, to survive, you right? To survive. Josiah? Something everybody has in common. Something know, everyone has in common. Everyone has. Everyone has. The root of all kinds of evil, too. Yeah. It can be the root of all kind of evil. So there's, there's this. You know, as I was preparing for this class, I, didn't, I never thought about that. There's literally more taught about money in the Bible than salvation. And I think the reason why God teaches us so much about money, he knows the hearts of men and women. And, and, and the Bible gives us lessons we need to properly handle money. So there's a lot of great teachings in the Bible. There's a lot of... Um, writers who have written good books that are biblically based on ways to properly handle handle money, to invest money, to save money, to use money. Jeff? Probably the biggest reason why there's war. Over money. Yeah. Biggest reason. Who's, who's going to control the, the cash flow out there? Yeah. Money and power. It makes the world go around, as the saying says. It makes the world go around. It does. It does. And you know, a lot of times, it's a very uncomfortable subject to talk about 
and study. You, you usually don't hear a ton preached about it from the pulpit. Okay, so you can, if you have like a surplus, you can invest it. So if you have a little excess, you can invest in whatever markets, whatever mutual funds. Then something that I've never been to, some people, they gamble. So they employ their money in a gambling. So it's how you employ your money. If you're employing it in investing, you can yield more for yourself. But there's those that for whatever they like the thrill of the gambling or whatever they they gamble and they're not supposed to be doing that's a vice bad use of money so right? bad use right? bad use of money gambling i think i think the bottom line with money is that we have to not let it become our god so that's where that's all we think about we gotta think about how we can use it and to help others uh, to give to God. <clears throat> so this lesson about joy and giving is just not something to talk about. It's something for us to put into practice in our everyday lives. And again, as we do that and we get, see ourselves growing in that joy of giving, being joyful about giving, then we, we know that we're growing as a Christian. As, as I said, it, it, takes, it takes faith to, to give a big chunk and having faith that God's, you know, uh, He's got to get it to me to get it through me. And to get it to me to get it to the church, to help others. Let's, let's go ahead and answer our first five questions on our sheet there. Question number one, how does giving help us to develop a Christian character? Jennifer? It's putting others before ourselves. Putting others before ourselves? Yeah, so the spirit of Christ is the spirit of giving. So if you think about John 3.16, God gave his own one and only son. So the spirit of Christ is the spirit of giving. Number two, how much of what we have was given to us? Everything. Every, nearly everything, right? So the, uh, we talked about the grosser sins are usually caused by what? Jennifer. Like attitude, like greed, um, selfishness. Um, you know, I think that one thing I, I know that God always shows me, you know, people are more important than things, Jennifer. Yes, yes. You know, people, people are more important than things. The uh, what they were looking for here, uh, these sins are caused by what? It's 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 actually a perversion of things that are right, like you know, sexuality, food. Those are things, they're right things, but they're easily misused. Number four, does the Bible denounce wealth? No, it does not. Why does the Bible teach so much about money? Number five there. Big impact on our lifestyle, big impact on our life period. He knows, it's, he knows it's an important part of our lives. And again, every day we're buying, selling, transacting to, to stay alive. You know, have a roof over our head, pay for a car, clothing, food, everything. Even warns about it. You know, it's a profit of man to gain the whole world and lose his soul. Yeah, that's an excellent verse. Excellent verse from the study. 
Thanks, Jeff. All right, from here. The world, too, not the Christians, not the church, but the world does value people based on the network and stuff. You know, and that, that's so, yep. so contrary to scripture, you know. Right. That's, that's, that's not your value. That's the worldly way. Right, right. It's the worldly way. We had a study where we talked about, you know, two people walk in the church, they're both uh, visitors. One walks in, has a Armani suit on, and just spit shine shoes, and gold on, and rings, and necklace, and everything. The other guy walks in, and he's got some ripped up jeans, maybe even smells a little bit bad. And how do you treat those two people? Should be the same, right? No matter what. But what does the world do? They're going to tend to the person with the spit shine shoes and Armani suit. They're going to get more attention, and that's not that's not how God would have it. Hey Bill, your speaker is like feedback, and it sounded really bad. I don't know if you just want to shut it off or yeah, it's like muffled and muffled. Maybe it's battery or yeah, move it farther away or something. Maybe. How's that? Still doing it. Still doing it. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, I don't need it. <laughs> Even better. There we go. I'll make sure I keep talking loud. Thanks, Sean. Let's go ahead and take a look at some of our scriptures tonight. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Now, I'd like to get two readers. Georgia, read Acts yeah. chapter 4. Yeah. If you would read verse... 32 through 34. Sure. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, uh, brought the money from the sales, uh, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Okay, thank you. And if I can get someone to read verses 36 and 37. Any other readers? Brianna? Yeah. was also named Barnabas by the Apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the Apostles' feet. Okay, thank you. Joseph, I, I'm not sure how, how you pronounce it. I was going to say Jose. Jose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the first first part of this verse, um, it's interesting. He talks about the multitude. Can we actually place a number on the multitude? Anyone know off the top of your head? It's a trick question. Maybe at least three thousand. And if, at least at least what we know is at least three thousand over three thousand, right? So this is kind of almost after the first year that the church started. So if you go to this same chapter, chapter 4 that we're in, jump up to verse 4. <clears throat> How
However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So that's the men. So we know we're over 5,000. They talk about the multitude here. So by, by the end of the first year, the Jerusalem church had grown to well over 5,000 members. So, and of course, Acts talks about how to become a member of the church. And, and I, you know, I, I always found that interesting when I became a Christian that, you know, I thought, well, you got to join this church. They must have some class you got to go through and take a test and, you know, all these man-made rules. And no, it's not how, it's not how it works. God does the adding to the church when people obey the gospel. Of course, we can make a decision to affiliate with a specific church and be a member of that church. But no man has a right to say how someone is to become a member because the Bible tells us how to become a member of the church. And Acts chapter 2 kind of shows us how to become a member of the church. In this verse 32, Acts 4, 32, stated here, those who believed were, were of one heart and one soul. What's, what's meant by that? Of one heart and one soul. They all pulled in the same direction. All pulled in the same direction. Unity, right? Yeah. Does that mean anything else to anyone else differently? What, how, what's the first thing you think of when you read that? Jennifer? I think they were like close like a family. Close like family. Yeah, the brotherly spirit was so strong they felt completely united sympathy and love. Yeah. And the verse goes on in 32, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. What's Luke talking about here when he means no one said anything was his own, they had all things in common? What's that look like, Brian? Yeah, in my opinion, it sounds like they all understand that nothing is theirs, so they don't maybe want to mention it because it's not really theirs, but it's theirs and them like God. And they have everything in common because they have the same heart and soul. So I mean, if they have that in common, they know what's important. Yeah, when you're when you're you're connected like that spiritually. You know, in love and sympathy with one another, it's just like whatever, whatever belonged to any one of them belonged to them all. Is is how that how that's kind of read. They no longer talked as if anything they owned was their own private property. Not that they put all they had in a each one put everything that they had into a community storehouse. That's not not how how it's read. But they shared according to need based on the church church the church's need the members members needs and you know you know we can also it's not just about giving money of course that's that's you know we're called to do that but um, giving of our time I think sometimes is even harder to do and as old saying time is our most precious commodity that we have and if you think about it, if there's, a, as an example, if there's a member in the church that needs some plumbing done, and there's members of the church that have that gift that can do plumbing work, 
and they take care of that work for that individual. That's not much different than really giving money, is it? And, uh, and sometimes I think we, we need to do something as a church family like, hey, I, I know how to do this, this, that, and this is what I do for a living, and this is my business or whatever. And if we all knew what each other did, we might be surprised how we can help one another. It's very similar to you know, having everything in common. Verse 33 here, talking about the apostles. Um, who's the apostles' ministry that had to be replaced? Judas, Judas yep, yep. And then who replaced Judas? Matthias. Matthias. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Matthias, Matthias. <laughs> Both sound correct. I should have used a little the Google app where you can type in a name and it plays it back to you on how to pronounce it correctly. And it goes on here that states that with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them all. So they're talking about the apostles. Great grace was upon them all. What's, what's another way that we could describe that great grace was upon them all? So we're talking about the apostles here. And with great power, the apostles witnessed to the resurrection of the Lord. And great grace was upon them all. So another way we can say, describe, or what does that mean to you when you, great grace was upon them? Appreciation. Appreciation. Favor. Favor. That's what I was thinking. Appreciation, same thing, but um, we could say that Great grace refers to a favorable impression uh, that the apostles made on the others. And why? I think it's because it was seen that their lives, was com their lives were just completely dedicated to the Lord. Verse 34 goes on here. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were Possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. So many who had become Christians at that time would have been needy if it were not for the generosity of others. Uh, the members of the church in Jerusalem, they, they gave abundantly see by what we just read here and, and all their giving was on a voluntary basis just like it is for us today and from hearts filled with the love of Christ which is the same love that we should have when we give again there's that that joy in giving we should we should it's actually a method of worshiping and giving uh, we're told here that many sold everything that they had and they laid it at the apostles feet and it was kind of to be used in the uh, great emergency which arose in Judea as the church was dispersed and persecuted. And then Barnabas was one who sold land and gave, gave the money. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 20. Any comments on those verses? Any other comments on those verses we just read? George? I want to say one thing about it. It says one heart and mind. I'm thinking there were no doctrinal differences. 
basically mm. doctrines. It has, throughout the ages now, there's all these different doctrines out there, like even how, how a person becomes saved. And, you know, there's so many different doctrines throughout the ages that have corrupted the church. To, you know, we're, we're restoration movement, so I'll take it back to where it was at the inception. Great insight. I think that's great insight. One heart and mind. So no doctrinal differences. Everyone was on the same page that Jesus was Lord. He was raised from the dead. That's interesting. Brianna. Well, we know. But yet, there's still equal story. Like she gave penny, and they gave everything they had. Also, it's kind of kind of equal, right? Yeah. The, the, the poor widow gave the one copper coin. That was it. So she had faith God was going to take care of her, and that next meal somehow, somewhere, it was going to happen. And these people that sold everything, similar. Yeah. That's a that's a good good connection. I'd have never thought of that. And then we do know that. Uh, Sapphire and Ananias did hold, sold, sold land and, and held back some of the money, which any of them could have done, but what did they do that was frowned upon? They lied. They, lied. they could have said, hey, Peter, we sold this land for a million dollars. We're going to keep half of it. Here's half to the church. That would have been fine. But they acted as if they gave it all, and they didn't. And of course, we know what happened to them. Good, good points. Good, good. Uh, that's good insight on those couple of scriptures. Anything else on those before we jump to Acts twenty verse thirty-five here? All right, I'll go ahead and read this one. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, you must support the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Of the Lord, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." So this is the one of the touching scenes in Paul's life. This was his farewell to the elders of the Ephesian church. And he told them he had been an example in laboring, even though he was you know, a missionary. He labored to support the weak and reminded them that Christ said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that's in red in my Bible. Is that red in your Bible? So Jesus said that, right? Where can we find? Where else can we find that at? Anyone have like a scripture that references another scripture where that's at in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, I should say. You're not going to find it. So it's this is the only place that, that is written where it's, and it's, Jesus said it. It's more blessed to give. Than to receive. So th this was very, very, very interesting to me, but it is literally not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, that, but there's there's no indication that Paul would have ever 
possessed a copy of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's Gospels. He probably was off on missionary journeys as they were being written. But Paul, if, you know, so he had, to, he had to have heard this from Jesus, but think about, you know, when, when Paul on the road to Damascus, um, God, Jesus spoke to Paul supernaturally. So Paul either heard this that way from God and Jesus, or it's something that Jesus said, and it was so well-known and common, it wasn't written anywhere else. Because there are scriptures that say that if everything that Jesus ever said was written in the Bible, there wouldn't be enough room for all the books. The world couldn't contain all the books. So it could have been something that was said by Jesus, but maybe just not recorded anywhere else. But I thought you might find that interesting. That's not anywhere else. But why is it more blessed to give than to receive? It's actually question number seven. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Jennifer? Because the whole message of the gospel, I mean, when we become Christians after we get saved, is we're supposed to be other-centered, not self-centered. Not other-centered. He makes say so if you're not if you're not centered on yourself, you you became a believer, you're saved, you get you get the picture here. Not how what why why would you still say it's more blessed to give than to receive though? Because that's what God wants us to do. Brianna? That was pretty much what I was going to say, but the feeling that you get is so joyful. And, I mean, that's what, he, that's what he wants us to feel like, is to have the joy. That's what you get. Yeah. Jeff? I think it also uh, helps you follow the example that God gave by giving his only son. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where Brianna was going, too. Um, you know, Maybe that's how God felt. You think about when you when you give or you help other people. Um, don't you feel good about that? I mean, it do, does a lot for you, probably more so than the person who receives. And I, in fact, I've talked to a lot, some people who they don't like to receive. They, they're givers. They, they, they want to give. They just. But the Bible does talk about giving and receiving. And there are times in our lives when you know we may need to receive. But I thought you'd find that interesting about that scripture not being in, in the Gospels. Ron? It takes sacrifice to give than to receive. The sacrifice is never easy. No matter what it is, you have to sacrifice. Sacri sacrifice. That's like Jesus sacrificed himself. It wasn't easy. Painful. Incredible. Jimmy? It's selfless. Um, you think God... Pretty much every sin um, is because of self desire. So being so giving being selfless is like total opposite of that. Instead of being uh, selfish, it's being selfless. Yep. Let's uh, so we answered question number seven. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Because it does. Does the giver more good than the receiver? Number seven. And then question number six. What did Barnabas do with his property? Sold it, right? Sold it and put them and gave the money to the church. Okay. 
Anything else on that scripture before we jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16? I get someone to maybe read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Sean? Well, the first is each, each week, each one of you should set aside some of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Okay, thank you, Sean. So, the New Testament teaching on giving is kind of summarized for us in these two verses. Um, I skipped one. Let me hit one real quick. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about the collections for the Lord's people? Do what I told the Galatians churches to do. Sorry about that. It's okay. I missed that. I missed you saying that. <laughs> Not saying that. So Paul's here talking about the collections for the saints, and he gave the same orders to the Galatian church as he did the Corinth church. It's about the first day of the week. Uh, lay something aside, storing up as you have prospered, and so there's no collections when he when he comes. So, what two things do we learn about giving here? What's that? When, when, to when, when to give. Yep, the first day of the week. And also telling us how to go about preparing for giving. Prepare for giving. Up, yeah. And what else? Bring up. He tells us that he's coming back. Coming back. The other thing he tells us here is that we are to give as we have prospered. The first first day of the week was made sacred by the resurrection of Jesus and it's it's the day that the early church met for worship and I think you know the primary reason here for requiring a contribution to be made that same day was that the Christians were meeting together anyways for the Lord's Supper and for worship so it, it made sense and of course we're again we're supposed to each give as we have prospered and that's again that's part of Christian growth in terms of giving you know, if you prosper, you're kind of giving more than you did when you didn't prosper. And just having that thought process in our mind um, as we give and prepare our, prepare our giving, that's, uh, again, that's growth. Let's answer questions uh, 8 through 10 here. Number 8, when should Christians give? First day of the week. Number 9, how many of us should give? Each one of us. And how much should a Christian give? As you prosper. As you prosper. That's it. Okay. All right. Uh, our next scripture, unless anyone has anything else on these last two. not we're going to jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 6 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 6 I'll read these for us moreover brethren we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their, of their liberality. 
For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So it's, it's pretty amazing how much space in the Corinthians books that Paul gives to the subject of giving. And there was, if you kind of read through these two books, there was a, a dispute and a character of that dispute between Paul and the church at Corinth with raged on for a long period of time was to a large extent molded and developed by the stinginess and suspicious nature of the members of the church. And Paul used the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthians on, on giving. But why, why do you think the Macedonian people gave themselves first to the Lord when it comes to giving? Jennifer? You have to have your heart right before you can do the right thing. So you have your heart right. God gets you to do the right thing. You have your heart right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was easier to give their money if their heart was right with God. They gave themselves first to God. Then it was no big deal. They understood. But Paul, again, used the uh, Macedonian church, and there was quite a push and pull with Paul and the Corinth church around giving, among other things. But um, there's, a, there's a lot of different scripture. In fact, question number 11, we're going to... That question number 11 asks us, give some terms Paul uses to describe the contribution or, or the gift or the giving. And we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures about five or six here, and pull the terms out of the scripture that actually describes the contribution. And the first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We just read this, verses 1 and 2. If anyone um, remembers that without it, us reading it, and you can think of some things that, that described the contribution. So verse 1 says, Now concerning the collection. So one of the answers would be, one of the terms Paul uses to describe the contribution would be collection. And if we jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we were just at, in verse 6, see if anyone can pick out terms in there to describe the contribution. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. What in that scripture actually describes the contribution? Turn grace. This grace, yep. Thanks, Sean. Okay, and then in the same same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 20. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 20. I'll read this one for us. Avoiding this that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Does somebody else say something a little bit different? Yeah. 
It says liberal gift. Liberal gift? Liberal gift. That's one of the terms. Lavish yeah. lavish gift would be another term. Does anyone else have something different? Generous. 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 There you go. Those are all terms that describe the contribution. Let's jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and just turn the page in your book. Verse 5. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be a ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging ob obligation. So I, I saw that word generous again. Anything else? Anyone else have anything different or can think of anything else in that verse that describes the contribution? No? All right. And then in the same 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, Someone want to read verse 12 for us? Is that Brianna? You said 9, 12? Yes. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Okay. What terms in there describe the contribution? Any thoughts from anyone? Thanksgiving. What's that? Thanksgiving. I think the um, administration of this service would kind of describe the contribution. That word uh, administration, we kind of can derive the word minister out of that. All right, we're going to jump to our last scriptures here for the night. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So you just turn back a page. Verses 7 and 9. Oops. 8, 7, and 9. Anyone have that? Want to read that? Jeff? But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, in in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Thanks, Jeff. So he's telling us here, as we abound in everything else, that we should abound in this grace also. He's talking about giving. Um, but what, why is it being called a grace? Why is giving being called a grace? What comes to your mind? Jennifer? It takes grace to do it. It takes grace to do it. You know, maybe being forced or compelled, it's out of... You're not being forced or compelled. Totally voluntary. You're not being forced. Brianna? Yeah, there you go. You receive grace when you give. Or how about what was given for us? God's grace. God gives, gives us all grace and mercy through the giving of His Son. So we are to give as we prosper. Uh, anything less is sinful 
Our giving should be cheerful, joyful, should be in earnestness, sincerity, and love. And our giving shows that our, our giving actually shows the sincerity of our love. And Christ is the supreme example for us of giving. If Christ could give so much for you and I, we should give much for him. Let's go ahead and answer these last questions here, 12 through 16. What should first be given to the Lord? Number, question number 12. Ourselves. Ourselves, yep. Number 13. Name some characteristics of New Testament giving. Willingly. What's that? Willingly. Willingly, yep. Cheerfully, yep. Sincerely. Sincerely. Not under compulsion. Not under compulsion. As, and as one has prospered. Okay, question 14. Why will one give more if he plans his giving? Why would someone give more if they actually plan out their giving? Sean? Because you won't be giving your leftovers or what? You know, you have leftover after you spend all your money on what you spend it on. If you plan it out, you've got your first best. Yep, and we're, we're called to do that. You know, the first, first fruit of the crop, the best of the crop. Anyone else? Why, why would someone potentially give more if they actually plan it out? I mean, it helps us to become systematic, right? When we know we have, we're being increased, we're prospering. I guess if we're thinking about that first. It's almost like when you're putting money away for retirement. Once you start giving it, you don't think about it anymore. It's just systematic. You yeah. just do it. It just comes naturally. Yep. And then as the year goes through, you have a certain amount of money that you're used to giving. If you're blessed in some other area, you inherit money or whatever, you give more of that. You're more likely to do that because yeah. you're kind of in sync systematically already with your regular income. So here's, here's, this isn't a question on here, but this is something I always like to ask people and hear what their thoughts are. So, you know, you talk about the tithe, our gift, and it, but it says, you know, give as one says in their heart. Um, I think the, the tithe is an easy thing to, to think about. It's 10%. Well, whatever it is, though, it's, it's say you do give a percentage of your income. If you're an employee, do you give it on the before tax amount or the after tax amount? Or if you're a business owner, do you get tithe on your gross profits or profits after all your business expenses? <laughs> Jennifer says gross, why? The government gets his, God should get his. Good point. Jennifer? I'm sorry, Brianna? I was going to say, you can think about it like your tithe is part of your tax, but like if you, your gross amount that you make, that's how much you make. So if you're taking it out of what you're taking home, it could be less. So the more less we give, which means you take it out of what you actually earn. Mm hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Anyone else? It's a tough one. Jesus Pray. said, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's." Uh, how do you divide that? How do you divide how do you that? Correctly. Um, yeah, you could think about that. Yeah. I could see thinking about that either way. Yeah. God before Caesar. So it's gross, and then the net, because the taxes come out with all the gross. So. I mean, as a as a business owner, that money ain't yours until you pay all your expenses. That's true. I agree with that. The balance. I agree with that. Yeah, that's you're prospering whatever's left over <laughs> after you pay your employees, your rent, your electric bill, your gas bill. I always like to hear, I ask, I ask people that a lot, just to get different. I think when it comes down to that too, God knows your heart. Yes. Yep, yep. All right, question number 15. What proves the sincerity of our love? You're giving. You're giving, how much we give and how, how much we have left over after we give. And then question number 16, who is the supreme example of giving? God. Yep, God was giving Christ. Yep. We have um, a couple, couple more minutes here. Let's take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 1 through 11. I'll read this. Second Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But I say this, he, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched, enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service is not only supplies the needs of the saints, 
but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. There's a lot of abounds and abundantly in there. Um, what this this uh, but I say this: He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows, sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do we believe that? Is that scripture? Now, I think there's some danger here where someone says in their, in their heart to themselves, oh, I'm going to give because I'm going to get. And that's the only reason I'm giving. That's not Christian giving. But the Bible talks a lot about sowing and reaping. And you think about if a farmer sows a lot of seed, ideally, a lot of crops grow up out of the ground. So, I mean, it's a, it's it's it's... It's God's economy versus our economy. Brianna? You can't really think about it in that aspect, though, I think, because say you, it is a farmer and they're like putting all these seeds down, they expect it to grow. That doesn't mean it will. So if you give something and expect something to happen, yes. you don't know if your expectation is going to happen. So That's the wrong kind of giving. Jeff. Or does sort of challenge you too, says testimony. Yeah, I, I think it's only one of the areas of scripture where God says, test me. Yeah. In Malachi. And uh, I think Proverbs 3 talks about that. Um, as far as giving and, you know, your bats will overflow. And I think most of us could probably testify that as we give, whether it's of our monies, of our time, of our efforts, that he does bless us. I sincerely believe if you are a giver and you're giving with the right heart, it's because it's worship. I believe that. Absolutely. No doubt. You think this... Sean? I was going to say, you think this paragraph be sort of jabbing the Corinthian church a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Sort of like, you know, Definitely. almost there was, like embarrassing them? There's a dispute going on with the church and Paul there. About giving. There was. But you think about if you're giving with the right mindset and you analyze that or analogy of a farmer, you know, he, he plants a seed, but God's the one that gives the rain and causes that germination that makes the seed grow. It's not anything that anyone does. So I think if you plant right, if you're giving right with the right mindset, worship, attitude, then there's going to be a, re, a, re, a harvest of righteousness. Yeah, Luke, it says it. It says press down, running over. Yep. I don't know exactly what the scripture says. I don't want to but in Luke somewhere it says if you give, it'll be pressed down, running over. So, like, your gift from God will be overflowing yep. if you give to him. All right, well, we're, we're over time. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for everyone's comments. Oh, I'm sorry, Sean, go ahead. No, I was just thinking... There's an important part of that verse eight there that we sometimes miss. You you'll reap to do good works with what God gives you. Yes. You keep continue to read there. You have everything, all things may abound for every good work. So you'll have some. You're going to abound for your own good. You give, you reap, but it's not for yourself. It's to do good works with. You have sufficiency in all things. For, so you have an abundance for every good work. It's right. not 
it's not just you know everything for me, but actually able to do. Other, I think God watches that too. But, you know, if He increases you, that you're actually doing something with that to help to help other people. Thanks, Sean. So for for a subject of money that no one likes to really talk about, it was a pretty good conversation today. Appreciate everyone's comments. Remember to help uh, help out get cleaned up here tonight, and uh, let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, wind up our evening here tonight, we, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your, your direction that you give to us in our lives uh, regarding money, Father. May we have the right mindset and, Father, may we use it as you would have us to use it and so that your will would be done, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.